0: Lock the game. <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucking North Carolinians? Thank you. Thank you, guys. I know it's been a week or so, but I want to thank everyone down there in Raleigh and the surrounding areas for coming out to Good Nights to see me. I had a great time down there. I really... Uh, had a great time good nights is a great club it's a hot room uh it, it was great how many times can I say great I hadn't been there in 15 years and something happened there I got some closure people on a couple of levels seriously seriously some real psychological growth but I'll get to that in a minute before I uh get in let me just tell you who's on the show today John Hodgman If he didn't, let me tell you something. If this one, if this episode didn't work out, it would have been three strikes and that was it, man. John Hodgman was on an episode. It was the only episode that never aired because I lost the fucking file. So that happened. Then I had John Hodgman on a live one out there in Brooklyn at some uh, festival that was a horrible show and I didn't put that up. So this is it. This had to work out and it did. Me and John had a great talk. We went places I didn't think we would. We got into the books, man. We got into the books. Let me just tell you, North Carolina, great food, too much food. I haven't done one of these riffs before. Yeah, I haven't done one in a while. Got there immediately, within an hour. I was eating chicken and waffles and chest pie, sweet potato chest pie. Day two, roasted chicken, mac and cheese, greens. Also had greens on the first night. Bam, get to the... Uh, the club someone brings me a coffee cake someone brings me german co- chocolate cupcakes somebody brings me chocolate somebody brings me cookies with episodes of my show on them that i couldn't eat because i want to frame the fucking things then we go out to barbecue with uh andy forrester big a uh who was hosting me and ryan singer were on the shows and then we go to a pool's diner we went to Beasley's that first night for the fried chicken. I think the same person on Pool's Diner had more mac and cheese, had uh, Brussels sprouts, had some sort of uh, you know crab beignets. It was nuts. I've not recovered from that. I'm still, I'm still eating kale, like too much kale in order to counteract North Carolina. But it was great. So here, here's what I want to tell you got some closure now first of all i know i told some of you guys the story about what happened to me when i featured there last time this story about the guy i was uh middling for and uh, the pot and everything but i had forgotten i think i'd forgotten and maybe i told you this i i don't know i'd forgotten the last time i was there i was not doing well on stage i was featuring i was angry but but it's something happened there that uh that became part of a bit that i did for years north carolina is the place where i was on stage bombing and in the middle of the set not doing well i just decided to say you know what i'm a jew because i was down south and because i don't know i wanted to defy that i don't know what i was thinking but that is the place where right up front without missing a beat some guy sitting right up front turns to his wife and says i knew it Say so, and we, it wasn't uh, mal it wasn't malicious. It sounded like you know he was answering a, a trivia question to a contest he was having in his own head. But but nonetheless, that became the the the, the sort of foundation of a bit I did for years. So that kind of was full circle, and I went down there and I killed. We sold out a few shows. We did a bunch. Of, I mean, it was amazing. So I got a little closure on that. You know, I, I went back somewhat victorious as an, as a new person, new performer, and had a great time down there. But here's the other thing that was. Pretty spectacular. And by the way, thank you for coming out for those shows. I had a lot of people down there, and it was really a pleasure. And the hospitality was great. The club was great. And I can't say enough about it. I mean, it was a great experience. I love North Carolina. But that being said, I was doing the show Saturday night, I think it was. And I'm trying to work out this bit about a story I told here on this show when I was talking to Tom, uh, to John Oliver about being in center field about getting hurt in center field, about the end of sports and how it was a pivotal part of my life, this moment in center field. And I do this one part of the bit. It it takes place when I'm in Pee Wee Little League and it's not essential. I'm not going to tip the bit completely because I I hope that you can see it and when it's complete as as a comedy piece. But there's one part of the bit where I do something and this is a packed house, a packed house. It has to do with baseball. So I do this bit. It's a physical thing. And everyone's laughing, but some guy sitting in the center of the room—he was a you know, middle-aged guy—and he was with his wife. And there was another couple. There's a few, two tables of these people. They didn't look like they were Mark Marin fans by any means. This one guy is hysterical. He's hysterical, and he literally looks up and goes, "Do it again! Just do it again!" Now, I'm not really a dancing monkey, and and uh, yeah, I'd already done the bit, but this guy was so hysterical. He was buckled over. He was crying. He was like, please do it again. And I, I couldn't help it. I, I said, Yo, for, You're having such a great time. I've never seen anyone laugh like this so much before. I'm going to do it again. And I did it again. He buckled over again. His little physical piece, his baseball piece. And then someone at the table next to him says uh, he's a Little League coach. So I must have just struck a nerve with this guy, and he was hysterical. I mean, he was just laughing his ass off and everybody was having a great time and i said well i need you to help me through this thing because i was talking about that story where i i you know I, I i failed to catch a fly ball and i get hit in the face and i tell the whole story and after that after i tell the story you know it's a full house and i say that guy so what do you say coach and he goes he basically said well you, you you tried it was a good effort and i said i've been needing to hear that for about 40 years it was almost emotional and i said could you tell uh could you tell me to go back to the dugout please <laughs> and he says all right come on everybody let's get in the dugout and uh and it literally sort of uh i don't know if literally is the right word but it worked i felt some emotional closure around this stuff and he came up to me after the show and he wanted to take a picture of me doing this pose that you know from the bit i did and uh it was pretty amazing i, I, I mean it was it was really funny and really touching and and it was uh and and it's 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 only in my memory, my heart and my mind. It was not on tape, not captured, except for what I just told you. But there was also another moment in Raleigh where I was, I intro a bit where I talk about roosters. You know, basically I say, you know, I had a strange thing happen with a rooster. This was another show, I think, and some, some guy sitting in the audience said, yeah, like an old sort of wise Southern voice. Just on that. You know, I had a, Powerful mom with a rooster. Yeah. Mm. So I, you know, I could only assume that his his story was much better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know what it was. I could only speculate. Well, I was younger and I don't know. And yeah, you know, I had a, I was angry and yeah, you know, I didn't, couldn't get girls. And I was just, I had that rooster wrestling with it and trying to get it to work. And yeah, well, that's, that's why I have one ball. Yeah. That's the story I projected on him. I doubt that was the story. Look, great time, North Carolina. Now it's time to talk to Professor John Hodgman. Finally, it's happening. John Hodgman, this is his third appearance on the show.
1: It is, in in a way, in a way. <laughs>
0: Uh, The first one I uh, mislabeled and lost. The second one was a train wreck. Though I I think that you probably... I think that that might surface at some time segmented.
1: Well, it was a a live show outdoors.
0: For drunk people. For For, a few of them. None of them being WTF fans. we We
1: can stipulate all live shows outdoors are for drunk people.
0: Okay, that's true.
1: And not just drunk people, but people who need an excuse to get drunk in the middle of the afternoon.
0: Right, and they were in an exclusive part of this festival that it was a first year. I, my issue with it was that and I and I think you said afterwards I mean I think you were great on it and I think no. Klosterman was great but I was uh, desperately trying to get through it and I was not enjoying what I was seeing in front of me audience wise. Oh, you
1: didn't en- you didn't enjoy uh, a half full Amphitheater,
0: yeah, with people come in going as they please, right, and then loud women up front who right. were very drunk. People and, who were at a food festival, right, at which they apparently had no food, right, so it they were was, very angry. There as was well. problems. Yeah, there was definitely problems.
1: It was a it was a work in progress, but I, so, performing outdoors,
0: no good. It was a lesson. It was yeah. a lesson to be learned.
1: Yeah, I, but but surely in your in your experience, you had. You had no, I, confronted well, that before. In no, the past. I, I, Have you, I no? yes,
0: yeah. it was obviously. I mean, uh, I, I it's I, never. So, so had I, and I, and even so, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, it'll be it'll be fine this time. Why did we do it? <laughs> because I, it's never good. Festivals are never good. Because outdoors is never good. Yeah, they used to do it a, a comedy day.
1: I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll tell you exactly why I did it. I can't speak for you mm. because someone called up and said we want you, and, and I you was said, like, ah, oh, here
0: I come. Yeah, I'm not even going <laughs> to think about it. <laughs> Yes, here I am. Yeah, all right. No, that was a, that was my same experience too. And then the other thing was that we had
1: had we had had the conversation. We had we had done the sh- the show. Yeah, the WTF show.
0: Yeah, before
1: in New York, and I don't know if I ever told you, but I walked into that thing, utterly terrified. In in my manager's office. Yeah. What utterly, well, you were terrified about ter- what? Utterly terrified. Cause, a couple of reasons. All right. One. You are a really good comic who I've been seeing perform Mm. and admiring Mm -hmm. for a long time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I used to see you down at uh, Luna Luna Lounge. Sure. Yeah.
0: He's angry about something, that fella. Is that what you said?
1: (laughs) For a long time, I knew you just as angry feller, but I also knew you were a decent guy because then I saw you at Bumbershoot. My friend Amy, who is such a fan of yours, said, could you introduce me? And I said, I've, "I've barely ever met him once, but you were very nice to her." Yeah, you may not remember it. Maybe there was some adjustment to your medication at the time, but you were I, very nice. No to her medication. I've no, I've
0: uh, proudly gone unmedicated yes. for, for many years. Well,
1: you were you were you were very, Amy. Who you won't you, you you won't recall.
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad I was nice. You were ter- you were terrific. I'm I'm never not nice. I'm sometimes misunderstood. That's the way I'm exactly going to frame so. it. Exactly so. Exactly <laughs> so.
1: And you know, and, and I also knew from the show that you were yeah. a really good interviewer and that you would you were you were you, you would you would go to places that needed to be that needed to Esca- get, get gone to uh-huh. yeah exactly. sometimes yeah and then and then the, the what, for me it was the perfect what i consider to be the perfect storm mm-hmm. because i had and have achieved a career in comedy through very unusual a very unusual rap yeah do you know what I mean? Yeah. I never intended I never intended to be a stand-up comic right i don't con- I don't describe myself as such now. Mm-hmm. That is a thing that i an art form that I appreciate. and insofar and 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 insofar as I contributed to comedy and contributed to comedy, it it was always as a literary humorist right a guy who would get up right. on stage and read from pages and produce some you know low chuckles for the arched eyebrow set. so you know m- my whole my whole life is predicated on on fraud.
0: Stop it, John. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to let you seek humility through self-effacing.
1: Oh, well, that's <laughs> that's absolutely fair. But I, no, I think I think you're right. I mean, I could I could go down that that rabbit, rabbit hole, hole for. The,
0: we got yeah. into the rabbit hole thing in the in the living room.
1: Yeah, Mark was showing me his new my new stereo stereo system, mm. which has a bunch of. Uh, I mean, it literally tubes. looks like something out of Forbidden Planet.
0: Well, yeah, well that's sexy though. This a vacuum this is, tube, this vacuum is,
1: glowing vacuum tube.
0: This is how latent nerds have midlife crisis. I, you know, what? I'm not going to buy a car. I'm going to buy a fucking tube amp. Yeah, and sit there and look at it and think it's doing something, which it is. But, but talking. These li- are these are the consolations of,
1: of men who f- who feel their mortality.
0: Feel their mortality and and don't buy fast things. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they, they don't put their bodies under hurling pieces of metal. Yes, to put to push the uh, the limits of yes. that mortality. Yes, yes, yes. But the rabbit hole thing, the, I,
1: mor- the morbid and sedentary, yeah, turn
0: to, <laughs> to things turn to spin. vacuum tubes, <laughs> things that spin slowly. <laughs> the the pathologically nostalgic. Mm, yes, reaching back into a, into that the the sort of little packets of emotions that are hopefully you know still there and unopened since high school.
1: Oh, yeah. Precisely so. Yeah. It just feels like there's a whole range of culture that is designed to hit those pleasure centers of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Like, you remember that show, Super Train? Remember that show? Remember the cartoon version of Planet of the Apes? Yeah. Yeah. and, And that's where culture... I mean, that's sort of where the culture ends. You know, like there, there's a whole there's a whole subset of of culture born of the internet, I think. Well I it's just designed to poke those pleasure centers in your brain and do nothing more than that.
0: Well I think it's just a, to sort of remember this, remember yeah. this, remember this? Well yeah, I think it started happening when they started building T V shows around or stage shows. Maybe even well, nostalgia has always been something, but I think it, uh, in a smaller technological universe, it was uh, it was limited to oldie stations, right? You know, like for our parents' generation, right? You know, they could sit and listen to uh, the Big Bopper, you right. know, on some weird AM, you know, dial. And then uh and then when they do be
1: dum
0: spinning the oldies here with two middle aged men.
1: It's a new podcast. I don't
0: know the words. So your dad did that too? But <laughs> no, no, that
1: was me. Come on, I was the one. Oh no, Mark, seriously, I was the one who was buying all of the old timey radio albums in my house. Yeah, I like I was them the one Because I was of the, my father, though. Yeah, but no, no, that was I. I was. It was not my parents. I was just a weird. <laughs> I was a weird, sedentary, only child in Brookline, Massachusetts. Yeah. Who was buying old timey radio albums and listening to them, listening to the Captain Midnight episodes, especially?
0: Did you listen to War of the Worlds? Yeah,
1: sure. Of course, I did. I went to the library. I went to the library. Library. to You go into the library and you'd queue it up and yeah. you'd listen to the old timey. You'd have your little room
0: and your shitty headphones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you
1: know, New Year's Eve, I was watching the all night Twilight Zone marathon on the UHF channel. Like that was. That was how. That was how it was. That was for how me. you were I built. Was,
0: That's how the brain was built. I was born. I was.
1: I was born at the age of forty. I'm only just beginning to age now. <laughs> Thank God. Now that I'm forty-one, you're
0: finally coming into it. I would
1: rush home from Brookline High School in order to make sure that I could listen to Fresh Air.
0: <laughs> Popular were you? But no, I think that the turn for me when when I first acknowledged it when I was an angrier man was when they made a stage play out of the Brady Bunch. Yeah. and Some sort of they made camp out of our childhood experience yes. through television. Yes. And I think that that started some that opened some Pandora's box of of nerd nostalgia mm-hmm. that uh, took over the culture. I mean the fact that yeah, they...
1: and it hit and it hit the internet hard. Do you know what I mean? Because all of a sudden, not only did you have the nostalgia impulse which i think is kind of universal but a incredible resource for mining documenting and sharing nostalgia do you know I, what I it's
0: mean? unbelievable i can't i don't even get involved with it, it to me it was such a, a more earnest and interesting thing when i had to take a drive or a walk to a store that might have something and we talked a little bit about this on the you're saying the,
1: nostalgia was better in the old days
0: yeah what you're that's what you're saying, that's exactly that's what what, you're saying.
1: Mm, when that's was, when nostalgia was better when part well when oh, part wow. of when you, part ju- of, you just broke my brain in half <laughs>
0: when part of the you day- know when nostalgia was better in the old days <laughs> but let me you know make, what i miss nostalgia let me make my point if i found something like when you had to order something through the mail yeah that took a while to get to yeah. you or you had to take a drive or you yeah. were in a town that had a store that might yeah. have a thing
1: you would make a pilgrimage
0: the, the process of the nostalgia of was uh, was it was a lot uh, it took more time and there was more poetry in it than me you know clicking on two things and and then getting it a day later, oh, absolutely, and then being disappointed,
1: Absol- absolutely. I mean, that was that this, was part of the journey.
0: What happens? The to- smell of the
1: old comic books at Million Year Picnic in Harvard Square. Uh, exactly, that was, that was a that was a, a pilgrimage to a holy place where you would take your limited funds and take the take the train. So,
0: what it. happens to this generation that are, are going to be journeyless? In their in their quest for for the past,
1: I think they're going to be fine. And they're if they if they're not already laughing at us, they
0: will be doing so soon. We can't beat ourselves up for for being our age, John
1: Hodgkin. I'm not. I am not beating myself for being my. I last feel that I have. I have the, the, the portly body and weird facial hair of the middle-aged man I was always meant to be.
0: But let's talk about this uh, literary comedy thing and then go back in time to Brookline, right. so, Massachusetts, because you grew up around the corner from where I lived yes. for four years. We, we uh, You ate at the Busy Bee.
1: I showed, that's right and, sure. yes I did and we, with
0: uh, Peter the guy who, who owned the Busy Bee well I his... was
1: not on a first name basis with him because I was I was but child. a child yes. I was
0: but a child. his son worked there as well and they you know mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily good and there yeah. was always that feeling that this is just one step to the side of hospital food
1: yeah no <laughs> I went I went into the Busy Bee in order to in, in my teenage years growing up around that's there that's
0: Brookline Avenue and Carlton Street
1: uh, Beacon Street and, Car- and Carlton Beacon and Carlton yeah. yeah, still there I was just I just drove by there uh, the other day, when but I was your in, family I was house is no
0: longer with your family.
1: No, no, no. my My father uh, sold that that house and moved down to Coolidge Corner. Ah, moved, they They, <laughs> they went moved, uptown. Yeah, they went uptown <laughs> <laughs> to be to be to be near the big shops. Yeah, so they you could know. walk to the stores. Yeah, the Brooks Drugs. You know I what work, I mean?
0: I worked at the. I don't know what your memory of that area is. At Coolidge Corner. I worked at Edibles. Do you remember? Of course.
1: <laughs> Of course, of course, I remember Edibles.
0: This weird, you know, kind this of nostalgia hour. It's it's John Hodgman a and post hippie sort Mark of Rand. restaurant. You, you, maybe you went in there with your family, and I made you pancakes.
1: No, but I bet you. When when did you work there? If you do, you want to say the years off the air?
0: No, no, no. I have I'm I, just, nothing. I'm just being silly. Oh, uh, it would have been nineteen sort of. Uh, let me let me put it to you this way: eighty-five-ish.
1: Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I went to Edibles when I worked at the Coolidge Corner theater the movie house from 1989 and until and then i went to college but i came back and worked summers and in, probably into 1995 was edible still it hung on in 89 1989, In 1989 my girlfriend sure.
0: my girlfriend worked at the coolidge corner movie house what was her name sarah rubin but she would have been probably a little before the, he, name,
1: the name does ring a bell there used it to be it was a close-knit community of, no there used to be a guy who and,
0: was the guy that had the longish hair that always wore the cowboy boots and boozed Harry Snyder. he was there. That guy, yeah, yeah.
1: By the time I worked for him, he he had uh, he had recovered, and uh, was off the booze. Great, one of the funniest people I've ever met. A huge influence on me. Really, Harry Snyder. Oh yeah.
0: Why? Um, really smart, really funny. Film stuff, or or just, he was that guy that's sort of like, wow, you can be smart and funny for you.
1: Yeah, he and 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 then the the, the projectionist at the theater, Harry Friedman, were mm-hmm. pals. Mm-hmm. And you know, th- th- when you work in a movie theater. How old were you? I was um, well. When I started working there, I was seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, it was like my last year of high school, and this and that, and then that summer. Then I went away. The theater closed for a little while, reopened right. as sort of a nonprofit, and it kind of lost. It was still a great place to work, but it, it lost a lot of the grime because mm-hmm. when I started working there, they were. It was a. It, it had been for many years a repertory. I mean, right. So they, they, I, they, I started working there because I loved nostalgia. Like I would right. go there to see uh, Marx Brothers movies. Right you know Marx Brothers triple features right. on a Saturday afternoon the
0: the traditional sort of 70s repertory two movies a night yeah, kind of thing or exactly. every two and nights. different and different right. every night right
1: and and uh, and by the time i started working there you know once again nostalgia it wasn't as good as it used to be it had become a second run right and they'd also theater. run
0: new foreign films you know and what they I start
1: and that they started revamping the foreign I films. i saw the then.
0: premiere of Dennis Hopper's Out of the Blue at the Coolidge Corner. One of the most disturbing movies ever.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I've never seen that one.
0: And I saw a documentary called Huey Bluey about- I saw
1: that, too. When he was there? Yes. You- I was there. But do you know what, Mark? This is what I'm going to say. Yeah. This was um, uh, Th- Terry Zweigoth. Yes. Directed Hue- Huey Bluey. Yep. Which was a- a- about an a- a elderly black blues violinist or string band yeah, music. Yeah, I mean, You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, and, and, uh, Terry Zweigoff, who went on to, to direct, uh, um, Crum and, and, uh, Ghost, uh, Ghost World. World. Yeah. yeah. A great director. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I saw that too, but I saw it at the Brattle
0: and I saw him perform at the Brattle. Wait, was that, am I mixing up my theaters? Well, the
1: Brattle is a, a similar theater for the,
0: in the Cambridge, for, in for those Square. of you still with us. That must have been it. Um, it, may must... have been, it may have been that they did two different- No, they wouldn't different... have done that. That must have been where I saw it. My that's mistake. My, that's, my, that's my memory. You know what else I saw at the but Brattle? But we could have
1: been in the same room at the same well, time. Well, he only
0: did one night. He was old and he was kind of an oddball. We must have been there at the, exact the same, time. same time. I saw Spalding- I was with my friend Day- Damon Graff. I saw, Spalding... I saw Spalding Gray perform Swimming uh, uh, to Cambodia I did not, at the Brattle.
1: I did not see that, sir.
0: I went in for nostalgia. Right.
1: And by the time I started working at the movie theater, they, they had moved on. And already I was nostalgic for nostalgia. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um but I saw a lot of great theaters but mostly it was movies. the great the, I saw a lot of great movies yeah. thank you. And and mostly I just uh it was a great amazing work experience.
0: But do you remember the one And that- I will
1: say like for like so Harry Snyder Yeah. you know made a joke that 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 reverberates with me even today. Uh it was one of those foundational jokes that you hear someone say and mm-hmm. it was um <laughs> it was a, a a movie called Le Souffle au Cœur, hmm. Murmur of the Heart. Yeah. And the name of the director is eluding me at the moment. Yeah. But uh, it was a French film um, from the 60s. Yeah. About a a young French boy who is sexually initiated by his young mother.
0: Yeah. Right? Sure. And. That's it. That's one you got to go home really thinking about. Yeah.
1: And and so Snyder, I remember that we were, it was a big hit in Brookline. So yeah. there were, we had two people ripping tickets. That's how you knew. Yeah. There were a lot of people coming in. <laughs> yeah, calling the second yeah, guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Snyder was ripping tickets across from me and he goes, That's straight ahead for Le Souf au uh, or known in English as Coming Mother. <laughs> so the double entendre got you. Yeah. I was just like <laughs> I was like, you know, that that was one of those those one of those jokes that opened Went deep. That opened my brain to a whole new level of joking. Right. And, right. You know, and the beautiful thing about working in movie theaters as well as working in in video stores, you know when you know when America had such things. Yeah, was that if you were someone who liked, you know, movie, the arts, popular culture of any kind, you got to see a whole lot, mm-hmm. and then you also just got to sit around a whole lot
0: yeah. and talk. You no, know, that was that was something uh, that we were talking about a bit in the lost episode uh, that we did live. Yeah. Was that you know when you go to a comic book store, you went to a record store. Like I literally used to when I lived on the Lower East Side and I was starting out as a comic. I, I didn't, nothing. You know, I would drink coffee, smoke cigarettes, maybe smoke a little weed, and then make these rounds around the Lower East Side to right. the record store, to the guitar store, right. just to sit and talk to the guys in there yeah. about whatever. You know, and you'd have these real discussions uh, yeah. about movies and you'd like to be there. You, it would be like the way you'd spend an afternoon if you could.
1: Yeah. And you would learn. I mean, you would learn about stuff and you would learn about people's lives and you would learn about jokes and grown ups. You, know, you would learn how to banter and yeah. grown ups. I mean, that, that was, was the
0: real appeal. It's like right. I'm here in this place that's grown up where people understand things that I don't. Yeah. And they're allowing me yeah. to, to hang out because I must have what it takes yeah. to, to, to hang in. Yeah. And I, that's how I learned anything, and it was sort of
1: like you know an apprenticeship, right? Exactly in 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 grown up culture, yeah, and, and in he, and in and in popular culture and, and in, culture and in humor culture and whatever it was. Right,
0: yeah. and for me though, it was always sort of like I really think that, and this is probably going a little deeper, but I definitely sought out, uh, you know, male role models, sure, who who you know were not my dad, yeah, because my dad was limited, and there were, mm-hmm. there 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 were these times where I'd be like, why can't my dad know this? And then at some point you cross the line where it's like, well, he just doesn't. So you're just going to have to hang out with these guys that can teach you other things.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm an only child. I was super and super close with my mom and dad. My mom's no longer living. My dad and I are still very close. But when you're an only an only child in a in a intact family, that becomes a three legged stool that is very sturdy.
0: Is it a lot of pressure? Uh, uh, I mean like I when, sometimes when I think of Only Childs I'm like well they didn't have any other ones I better not fuck up
1: yeah no I think that there was there was an element of that for sure <laughs> you know but I mean. you know for what's interesting is that you know I experienced it as pure pleasure yeah. like I I live I live like I, I don't have to share anything I get I don't have to share any toys don't have to share any space by the time I was you know 14 years old uh, I, had, I didn't have a room of my own I had kind of a suite of my own <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like
0: floor of the house? Yeah,
1: yeah. I was, you know,
0: I was like, that's I was, why you like the chateau so much. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's very similar to my growing up. I'm nostalgic. I'm nostalgic for my, for my growing up when I would pretend that my room was an apartment in a city. Yeah, and I would buy a fern and I would put it next to. Did you? Sure. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I would put. I would put it next to. I would create this whole little hmm. adult life for myself in this room because my parents bought. Um, <laughs> bought a house in in western uh, brookline in chestnut hill which is a now a very tony suburb at the out time by, out by the mall yeah closer to the mall and mm. it was kind of a middle uh at the time it was an upper middle class suburb yeah. there were some people around us who were very wealthy there's
0: illegal seafood in the bloomingdale's i think
1: over over by the over by the mall yeah uh i i and i think those things are still there i don't mm. i don't know for sure
0: okay no reason um, to fact check now
1: but that's fine, but you're, you're, um, you're bringing up many flash memories. Route, route 9, was it? Yes, Route 9, absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Am I... Maybe that's why I'm here, to sort of <laughs> to confirm re- some of your memories of the Boston area? Is that? <laughs> is that... Maybe I misunderstand what this podcast is all about. Yes. It's route to walk nine. you
0: through your childhood and yeah. for me to identify with the landscape. First R-rated movie
1: I saw... Here we go. ...was at the General Cinemas... At the Chestnut Hill Mall. Uh, at the Chestnut Hill Mall which I uh, was at that time the world headquarters of General Cinemas. I don't know if that
0: corporation still exists. Mm.
1: And hang on I have to clear my throat for a second.
0: <coughs> General, General Cinemas was that <laughs> da. is
1: that
0: was that <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was very jazzy. Yeah. Very jazzy <laughs> pre pre-trailer. Yeah, with the little dots coming out of the projector. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this what, is this is getting great, creepy. really nostalgic. Yeah, no, very nostalgic. What yeah.
0: uh, what was the movie?
1: The, so my first R-rated movie yeah. was uh, 1984, starring John Hurt, right, and the, and the and the occasional moaning sounds of Annie Lennox. And you had soundtrack. read
0: the book, of course.
1: Yeah, because I was a pretentious weird. Child. I was a pretentious weird man child. <laughs> <laughs> who was fond of the Eurythmics I had heard about them on NPR sure <laughs> saw that they were doing the music for 1984 was interested yeah I knew it would be Richard Burton's last film
0: <laughs> and your parents let you go
1: yeah and the, well How'd yeah but it? I mean here's the thing how old were you I, I was, so I, I was not allowed to be in an R-rated movie so I had to have been well, it was 1984, right? It was that was when the movie came out. That's why it was. That's the only reason in the world they would make the movie 1984. Because when you go back and look at that movie, yeah, it's crazy that they made it. It's it's terrifying. Yeah, that movie is so uncompromising and gr- and grim. Right, and beautifully so.
0: And I was like 20, 20 years old. So you were, and it was or, it, real. You were thirteen or fourteen.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I so I was seventy one. So I was thirteen years old, and the only like. It ends in the most terrifying, grim, awful, yeah. pessimistic way, as it should. Doesn't Do you know what I mean? In some
0: sort of silo in a chair. I mean, I, I think, think you're thinking of uh, Brazil. Brazil. Right, Brazil. right, right. Sorry, but I mean, you know, uh, six, six of one, <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> half yeah. a Terry Gilliam of the other. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, like the the fact that that movie was made at all exists solely because they're like, well. Oh, it's almost 1984. I guess we have to make a movie sure. of 1984.
0: It's Someone, a, it's a nostalgia thing. Again. Yeah, we have to do it. We have, we have to, have to ruin
1: it. that book. But they didn't ruin. it. But that's the thing; they didn't ruin it. If you, if you, you should see that movie if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it since then. I haven't. I, I, I Netflixed it up the other day, and it's uh, uh, Richard Burton is astonishing in it. is an It's an amazing, it's an amazing movie both for what it is and for the fact that it is so grim and uncompromising and ter- and terrifying and awful. As it should be, and they made it in you know within a year of making Top Gun on either end. I don't know when Top Gun was made, so but, you, you know, see like, it
0: as sort of a a uh, uh, it's a, a ris- total anomaly. A risque anomaly. Oh yeah, it's a
1: total anomaly for for movies of the <clears throat> '80s. You can't even see it as a throwback to the movies of the '70s. The only reason it exists is because some marketing person said.
0: We can sell this. Yeah, we can sell this because it's it is
1: uh, we are it is now the it is now the year 1983.
0: I didn't read the book, but it sounds Next, like a good hook. Yeah,
1: we might as well get someone to do this because yeah. everyone's going to be talking about it. Right? Do you, I, know I, what I mean?
0: you always wonder about those marketing decisions because when I first heard, do you remember when Nike was running commercials in uh, um, in movie theaters and Iggy Pop's? I think it was Search and Destroy uh-huh. was the. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, I got a buddy in the music business who said that the only reason that song got used is some marketing dude was searching song titles. Oh yeah, and I and I think it was search and destroy, and said, "I wonder what this sounds like." Ah, I don't know who this guy is. Yeah, there What's you it? go. Yeah, and that turned Iggy Pop's career around. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, that's what that's what that's I'm.
1: The gift. <laughs> what I'm hoping for is in about five years, someone hears this podcast of the two of us going. And They go. We could probably use that in a holo commercial and a hologram commercial.
0: And then, then did, the drum pick up. It did a little of that at the end. It did. It
1: did a little Buddy Rich at the end. So,
0: uh, all right. Wait. Your dad was a uh, an academic.
1: No, my dad was a was and and is now an academic. He was a businessman, and what that means is, I would say it to his face. Still vaguely mysterious to me. I mean he was He called himself that? Well, he was a he was a a business administrator. I mean, he he had he had gone to he had gone to law school for a year, didn't like it, got a got a degree in accounting and then came and started working as CEOs of emerging technology companies in Boston and he was a business manager. He was a executive. Doing and
0: those sorts of things. Do you know what they do? I mean- you No, I still don't. It?
1: I still have no idea.
0: I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that were unclear about what their fathers actually did. Yeah. Like what the day-to-day was.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, he would Is go like, in and have meetings and right. run- the, and How's run everything going in your department? He would run companies. Right.
0: Do you know what I mean? And This you know, department he, seems like it's not holding its own. Yes. Maybe we need a new guy in there. Yeah,
1: ex- exactly. And, you know, he was one of these professional CEOs, hmm. you know, to some degree for whom the, the company- it's, he wasn't a, he, he knows a lot about entrepreneurism but he's not an entrepreneur he didn't start companies he would be hired from one company to the next to sort of get things moving along. He could have run for president He could have run for president <laughs> if you ever saw a photo of him he looks like a retired president <laughs> He should be a president <laughs> and he worked for and he worked for Mike Dukakis it, uh, for a couple years as the director of employment security. Which, as when I was a little kid, for for the state of Massachusetts, which you asked me what it means, I have no idea what he did all day. But he was in. I government. know he had. A, I know he had a, a bathroom in his office. Yeah, I know we had a we had a state car. We had a. We had a a, a bone white Oldsmobile Cutlass
0: Cruiser. Nice. It was a sweet. It was a sweet ride. Isn't that weird what you hang on to when you go to your dad's work? You're like, wow. Yeah. Like, the, like, the, do you remember the first time you go to your dad's office and just to see what's on the desk? You're like, where'd you get this? Yeah. What well, is? <laughs> what is this? Where do I get a blotter? Yeah. Like, I
1: literally was, you know, of the of the mindset. <laughs> well, I, it's clear that I need a desk a desk set. <laughs>
0: yeah. My uh, dad was a, a surgeon, so he had, had all these these like. Uh, like he had um I don't know models of of knees and yeah. and and connecting things oh, he yeah. was an orthopedic so yeah. I, it was like that is the coolest thing how can you bring one of those home yeah why don't I have one of these it's just for work mark yeah just yeah. for work that's a work thing that's cool
1: but i didn't so yeah so my 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 dad my dad's work was kind of a mystery to me and and i think that that's why to some degree i really became early on fascinated with working and working in jobs that I kind of could put my hands on and understand what was going on, like ripping well, tickets in a movie theater. Like I, I get what's going
0: on here, but, but not I, you're not at a lathe, is that what it's called? You're I was not,
1: not. No, I never, I never worked at a <laughs> lathe. Uh, my first job was at the stock in the stock room. Oh yeah, stock uh, room job. Uh, uh, boxes. And do you remember in Boston? There had been the, you know, speaking of movie theaters, there had been the Exeter Street Theater. Yeah, sure. That's where they was ran Rocky the, Horror. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly so. And, and then, then it became a Friday's. It became, well, there was Half a Fridays, Fridays, yeah. Friday's downstairs. And they turned the upper thing into retail. They turned the theater I remember that. There was a horrible retail. day for everybody. Yeah, and that,
0: there was a fight, I think, a, a small fight to keep the Exeter intact.
1: There was, I think, a small fight to keep all of those art houses intact. But they all went away. The Hole in the Wall, Yeah. the Brattle, the Orson Welles. The Brattle might still be there. The Orson Welles. The Orson Welles, yeah. That was in Cambridge.
0: I remember that theater. Hold on. It's not coming The Janice. There. The Janice, but the remember there. Yeah. But uh, the Orson Welles, I'm trying to remember where that was. I can't.
1: It was a good time to grow up in, it, it was a good time to grow up and a good place to grow up for a, a human being like me who was born at the age of 40. Right. Well, yeah. Because I had access to so much great. Art house theater, so art house could, theaters,
0: art in general, and, the academic uh, world of uh, of of Boston and Cambridge, and
1: also yeah. it's still a time pre cable, yeah, where the UHF band uh-huh. was flooded with old TV shows. Oh yeah, Three Stooges, Three Stooges, Marx Brothers, uh, Marx Brothers, Bowery uh, Boys, uh, Bowery Boys, uh, 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 Get Smart mm-hmm. um, was a, was a big in big rotation. What's the one? oh, honeymooners, of course, yeah. Twilight Zone, Lucy, you know, yeah.
0: Did you say Louis K.? Mm-hmm. Lucy K? Lucy, Lucy K. You remember that old show? Well, I mean, just Lucy. <laughs> no, Lucy. Yes, yeah. of course. No. <laughs> so you were this weird little kid wandering was just, around with a I mustache a and I glasses. did not.
1: I did not have a mustache. I could not grow one, but I was <laughs> looking for one. I did not have eyeglasses. Much to my. Uh, Where'd you go to high school? Much to my uh, frustration, I did not have eyeglasses. I went to Brookline High School, the public high school. They yeah, a very good public high school there. Yeah, I grew my hair long. I dressed like Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of public television. Did you have carried friends? a briefcase? Yeah, I had friends. The nice thing about Brookline was that, you know, Boston—they're all kind of nerdy kids. Yeah, I mean, Boston overall is a is a is a is a jock town, yeah. jock town USA. Yes, um, but there was, you know, th- there there were deep pockets of nerdery. Well, throughout, yeah. throughout throughout New England, and especially in the Boston, well, be, between access. yeah, yeah. Be
0: where they live, because between MIT, uh, you know, Harvard, and and you know, uh, and I wouldn't say BU, but I mean, most of the academics, the biggest academics in the world, lived in the area, so their kids were right. not generally monsters,
1: right? Unless they were trying to compensate,
0: yeah, yeah, fuck you, dad, yeah, exactly, so. yeah.
1: But you know, like there, you know, I hung, I hung with the weirdos, uh, the and you know, this was in a in in a a period of time when nerd culture was still very marginal and inchoate. Do you what, know what I mean? But like, it wasn't,
0: uh, it wasn't a, a culture. It was actually had integrity to it. They were, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a culture, but it was just a, a, uh, a way kids were. It wasn't yeah. a fashion. Oh, yes, that's for sure. That, uh, you know, you had your chess club, you had your D&D players, yeah. you had the people that were watching the TV shows you were. Yeah. But there weren't many people going, I want to be like those guys. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> that, that didn't there happen were, until a few years ago. There were no there were no there were no fashion trends and media empires based no, yeah, on Yeah, no, it seemed like those those kids yeah. had found this thing and thank God they did cuz well, God because knows what Well, because they saw, you know,
1: we 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 found we found solace. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like in each and, other's company and that's what all
0: subcultures are. And generally more a little more intelligent, I would think. Uh, I I don't know if you were, like it, it seems to me that or at Moose, least a little more obsessed with something at an smar- earlier age.
1: Smarter than you stoners, that's
0: for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but there were some stoners within the nerd culture.
1: Oh sure, I mean there were there were there were obviously, look you had you had your you had your jock stairs, you had your freak stairs, yeah, you had your heavy metal stairs, you had all the stairs where people hung out. I had to. But I then there was a quadrangle where everyone. But, yeah, right. Be,
0: because of my sense of humor, I was a, I had a pass through all quadrants. Yeah, that what that was my that, that was my existence.
1: Well, I, I led it an an extremely untortured life. I was not I was I was not overly bullied. I was uh even though I had even though I was clearly an, an eccentric uh I was not tortured, not was, an
0: intentional eccentric. You were genuinely no, peculiar. No, no,
1: an entirely intentional eccentric. Oh. Okay. But I was I I was I was a, a, an incredible catalog of affectations.
0: Like what were some of your favorites? Let's get nostalgic. Uh, beside the briefcase, the briefcase I like. I the, think brief, that
1: was... the briefcase had been my dad's briefcase. Actually, sure. and I, you made and the that, decision it was time. I'm not going to no, this... not be carrying a backpack. I'm going to be carrying a briefcase. Trench coat? Uh, no, an overcoat. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very influenced sartorially by mm-hmm. Tom Baker, the Fourth Doctor Who. Uh-huh. Uh, so a long overcoat, long scarf. Uh-huh. I long I, I wore a long hair. I had long hair. Um, because my next door neighbor who was older than me, Peter Rosenmeier, yeah. had long hair, and he was cool. Sure. And I wore a black fedora. Really? On top of my long the hair.
0: sophomore high school-ish? Or yeah, I would say sophomore, junior. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's when you start making the big the big clothing the big decisions plays. on your own. Yeah,
1: you know what? <laughs> I'm my that's, own person. Yeah, I'm going to start sewing my <laughs> Spider-Man costume now. I've got I've got ideas. <laughs> uh, and, uh, D&D, chess, D and D, d and and I was... Totally, I was on board with D and D. Sure, you supported um, it, which is ironic because it is a boardless mm-hmm. board game. <laughs> uh, I was on board with D D. Totally was had more in common with those kids than than many others. I loved the idea of sitting around uh, with your <laughs> with your male friends in a in a place of of <laughs> sexual calm, <laughs> uh, and, and, and where, creating and, landscapes and creating landscapes in your mind mm-hmm. where you where you were. Uh, where you were heroic or yeah. or powerful in any yeah. way. Yeah. Uh the fact that I had to fucking roll dice and do math seemed <laughs> extraneous and complicated to me. <laughs> and I still you know, I think that's part of the reason why I don't quite uh understand what my what my dad does because I'm I'm a pretty smart dude and I got I got to a certain degree in math, but that stuff does make my Eyes cross to a certain degree. Yeah, like, I'm, just not, sort of like, I'm no,
0: no, no, thank you. Don't have the uh, temperament for it.
1: I watch a lot of public, like you know, and that's the thing about being an only child is that you are you are part of a trio, and so it's like it, it, once you hit teenagerdom, you, you don't. I never felt like rebelling against my parents. They were my pals. Like I kind of felt yeah. like my parents were my my roommates yeah. as much as they were my parents. I had a lot of freedom to go and do. And associate with whomever I wanted and consequently I didn't really do a lot other than sort of maybe go with some kids who hopped in a pool yeah do you well, know what I mean well, they like, lucked out you
0: weren't a fuck up. I wasn't a monster like the worst
1: yeah. thing the worst thing I didn't was probably I agreed to go to a, a murder mystery dinner party at a nerd's friend's house <laughs> That, and that was a moment, that was an intense moment. When that was I a big agreed.
0: transgression for you?
1: Well, no, not, not, it was not, they wouldn't know what it, what it was. I knew what I was getting myself into, but I didn't appreciate it till I was in there. It's like, you know what, there are limits. There are limits to- <laughs> What was it? The nerdery that I'm going to, that I'm going to partake in. You know what that, I mean? Like, that was too nerdy? It was too, it was really- <laughs>
0: What happened? You, you
1: know what it? I'm talking about? A murder mystery dinner party where you go. It's like a live clue game. Yeah. Like it's a lar it's you know what LARPing is? Mm. Live action role playing. Oh, okay. Where you know, there's people who
0: dress up as Sure, but it's not a sexual thing. No 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 no. You it's weren't like, you know, No, 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 no. It right. Was, it was why, yeah. no
1: no. No, there was it was not it was as it was well actually there were some girls came <laughs> to the murder mystery dinner party. Which was really terrifying and exciting. And I remember what I remember the most about that evening was I I had to have been a freshman or sophomore year, mm-hmm. and I had and I had fallen in with some friends, many of whom are still pals. Yeah, you know, who liked movies and who liked uh, science fiction, who liked you know weird stuff mm-hmm. and comics yeah. and, and 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 underground culture that I that I dug in the, in the, in a nerdy vein. right? Yeah. and uh, and they and, and they said we're going to go over to this dude's house. And we're going to have this murder mystery dinner party, and I'm like, well, I am already a middle aged man, and with, you have that fedora with no shame, and I've got I've got the fedora, <laughs> so I will go. And I think that I actually was assigned a character of a like a of a deranged millionaire. I think that that was my character, and then there was the Texas Texas oil tycoon was uh-huh. this one guy, and the mysterious figure, and then they had made friends with with. Um, with some other nerds some nerd girls uh-huh. from across the border in Newton. Huh. And they came to this thing and it was very terrifying exciting and eye-opening to know that there could be nerd girls in the world which is yeah. great. Yeah. And I remember the two things I remember from that moment were when the when one of the guys that I didn't know very well and one of these girls that I didn't know at all realized that they knew each other from from online. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this had to have been 1984 or 85. So the beginning of it, early, early AOL adopters. shit, like well before CompuServe. that, like I, CompuServe, if that. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like they
0: so, they, so real, you know, they were real nerds. They were they online were, before anyone else.
1: Yeah, was. they're like I, they knew each other by their screen names huh. on some weird bulletin board that they were that they were hooking up to by putting the telephone into a cradle. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like. Yeah. And so that that was like, oh, here is the future. There's (laughs) one there's one future.
0: I will play a role. There's
1: one future that I'm really interested in, which is that. Mm -hmm. And there's another future in which I do this again. And that can never happen again. (laughs) That future has to end now. I think I was wearing like I think I was wearing a suit with shorts. Like that was my eccentricity. And I was like, this is too even this is too much even for me. You know I mean, what I mean? You're like, way out of your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. like you know what I gotta, I gotta maintain some, like I'll do the, tr- the I'll do the overcoat and the, and the weird David Byrne too two huge suit and the long hair and yeah. the, and the whatever. But I, I need to, I need to have some one toe in cool, or else it's not, it's <laughs> All not will be, be It's not gonna be okay. <laughs> you so know? when
0: did the drinking start?
1: Oh well, that you know, you know, it's interesting that I, I was not politically. But effectively straight edge throughout high school. Never did a drug, never took a drink. Senior year, I fell under the sway of some charismatic pals. Who were? It
0: turned out alcoholics. Th- those are the uh, the future killers. I call them. <laughs> I could go either way with the charismatic pal. To to how far down the rabbit hole are you going to follow that charismatic pal? Ah,
1: uh, I I you know I'm I'm lucky because I l- I liked alcohol the moment I drank it.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess that's lucky. I, I mean, like if you're not saying uh, this at a meeting. No no
1: no. I like <laughs> I liked it. I liked it as much. Uh, you know and and I certainly by the time I got to college you know, wanted to see how... I, I experimented with some... How far can I push it. Not, not, not appropriate behaviors. Well, and who were your alcoholic
0: heroes? Oh, well, who I who think it would who be... Who were your role models? I, in... I think
1: it would be it would be complicated to name them by name. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were two friends who are still friends and are, are, are dudes who I love dearly and who were two of the most profound... Um, Personal, emotional, comedic, intellectual influences upon my life. Who also were were and are drunks, mm-hmm. um, and in in different stages of recovery, depending on what year it is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Really?
0: So they're full on. Uh,
1: yeah. I, you know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know precisely where their sobriety is yeah. at this time. Yeah. And I'm a 41 year old person, and yeah. I am. You know, I spend a lot a lot of time worrying about them and and helping them and being disappointed by them by realizing that they were going to go and and do the things that the drunks do, which is, uh, you know, ruin your life, you know, you know, and lie even to their closest friends and, and that sort of thing. But it was, it was, it was not even a hard stretch for me to forgive them. And I'm in touch with both of them and I love them and wish them all the best. But, uh, you know, they they still struggle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. And I, you know, I emulated their behaviors because I was like, this is great. Yeah. These like, guys are fun. These guys are fun. They're, and they're t- pirates. They are. They're pirates are terrific. They, they 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 show me alternative way of living. I mean, I'm still going to go to AP class and get all <laughs> get all A's because I got to go to <laughs> Yale. You know what I'm saying? But, you know what? And then once and then once I was in Yale, I which is where it's an accredited four year college that I went to.
0: I've heard of it. Yeah. It's, um, uh, it's one of the big ones.
1: Once I was in college, I I, I pushed, you know, it, you know, I pushed the behavior in in ways to to just sort of see, mm-hmm. you know, daytime drinking, sure, drinking all the time, drinking that yeah. kind of thing, but it didn't it didn't didn't sink in, didn't stick. No, it didn't. Good. Oh, uh, I feel incredibly lucky. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, sure. I, because and the other thing about about S- Snyder, whom I've already named as as a recovered alcoholic, so. We can it's it's out there now, mm-hmm. um, but he 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 was a recovered and is a recovered and comp- and un- unless something has happened in recent years that I know nothing about would be completely uncharacteristic and unbelievable is you know has been sober straight cold sober yeah. since the day I met him and mm-hmm. he had been sober for about a year at that point point. Mm-hmm. and like all recovered drunks he wanted to talk about it sure and it it that was, you know, a huge huge learning experience for me um to be listening to a guy talk about alcoholism mm-hmm. and be uh, by the way like the the dudes that I was that that were my pals who were leading me down this path you know worked in Coolidge Corner too and yeah. we would hang out sure and drink and and I well I would I was still easing into it at that yeah. point do you know what I mean yeah I think I I you know, but, but 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 Snyder was the one who would sort of point them out to me and say, "You know what's going on here, right? Like, they're they have a problem." Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, I don't I don't agree with you at all, sir. These are my friends." <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "No, they do." And I just remember that utter that other sort of non judgmental honesty being incredibly affecting to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it it really. Uh, I, I think you know I resisted what he was saying, but if it were not for if it were not for his counsel, then I might have approached drinking a different way. More importantly, I might have dealt with my friends in a different way. Do you know what I mean? Sure. I might not have been able to let them be who they are and help offer them help and appreciate when that help was not taken. But mo- and then most of all, and this is like creatively. It was a big eye opener. Like, utter, utter non judgmental honesty. Is the 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 thing that I kind of strive for in everything that I do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: it's a it's a it's a tall order. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, to to I, yeah, because there's a there's a more so than not there's a sort of a slight heartbreak to it. Yeah. That the the really realizing that uh, you know someone else is going to be what they're going to be, and that uh, you don't have control over others, and and that uh, exactly you have to uh, decide whether or not you're going to allow your heart to invest in that exactly. and yeah. and if you do, there there is uh there's a, a bit of a price to pay, but sometimes it's worth it if if love is there.
1: It, it, precisely so. Right, and, and then also being able to just say what is plainly right in front of you. Yeah that that maybe other people don't want to see.
0: Yeah. You uh got to be careful with that one.
1: Well, you, you, no, I no, I agree. I mean, it's like it's a, it's a it's a it's a in the in the it's a dangerous weapon
0: in, in the in the terminology of uh,
1: Dungeons and Dragons, that's a vorpal blade.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. that's it. It's like where is that how do you approach that type of honesty where it's not coming from a competitive or ego-driven place and not used as a weapon, but used as sort of a matter of fact or a helpful thing? Uh, you, you, it's tricky well
1: yeah but i mean it's also it's also acknowledging you can't you know all you can do is say what you see and then the and then the world the gotta, person the person in front of you determines what they do with that that's and right. that is you, outside of but your you've control. also
0: got to pick your moment where you declare that
1: well that's presuming that you can affect anybody else's decisions <laughs> or actions and you know i think that I think that what I what I took in an interpersonal way from from Snyder was you you can't you know you people people come to their own decisions and actions and yeah. you know when and they're going to whether or not they drink whether or not they are are an addict of any kind you know that's that's true emotionally all the time people are going to do what they're going to do
0: that's right and you know, you know and, what I mean? and either they're going to learn or they're going to uh, they will be humbled or they will be bitter
1: yeah and you know <laughs> or and 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 they'll take from it what they what they take from yeah. it and that was an incredibly freeing thing for a dude who I had to burp there yeah who had no uh, who had no brothers and sisters you know whose interpersonal relationships were um primarily f- dude friends you know we didn't talk about feelings a whole lot yeah i uh, you know mom and dad with whom i was always very close and pals but they were sort of this weird combo parent roommate situation Mm -hmm. Uh, I was growing up and 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 had not had a lot of confrontation in my life had not had a lot of you know hard challenges in my life and this was and and had not had a lot of girlfriends you know what I mean and this was eye-opening you know to to appreciate that people people make you can't affect other people (laughs) you know what I mean like that was a good (laughs) thing to know and then and then creatively you know it was also sort of like yeah that's that's what makes a a joke work, mm-hmm. you know. You you see, you see something plainly in front of you, and you just say it. Sometimes that's the the biggest taboo. Yeah. you know what I mean. Oh, being
0: like, honesty is the new edge.
1: Yeah, and I think, it, but it, it was always thus. Yeah, I mean, it, nostalgically speaking, we can we we can agree it used to be a lot better, right? Sure. Honest, Whatever it is we're talking back about. in the day, honesty, honesty was, was a lot more honest. A lot more, right? more yeah. honest. It was a lot more honest yeah, was, and, it was and less, funkier and yeah. it sounded better. Sure, and it was less cluttered. Do you know what I mean? There, yeah, yeah, sure. Right, because you had to go. Only
0: you could had get to get it at one place. You, could, you had to
1: go to that store the truth store yeah yeah the truth you had to go to that weird truth
0: store yeah, yeah. with the beaded curtain sure yeah if uh, the guy was there sometimes it was closed right 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 right, right. Exactly. that was the worst thing is you take two hours to go what to was the truth that? store was that
1: in davis square was that in so. davis square
0: before they changed it yeah when yeah, it was the was, old davis acro- square. yeah it
1: was across from it was across <laughs> from the restaurant with the fire fireplace <laughs>
0: logs on the wall do you remember logs on the wall sure yeah I remember uh, there was a place in Davis Square called uh, K and Chips that opened at two thirty in the morning. Oh yeah 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 exactly. <laughs> and there was a weird sort of slide your tray type of restaurant. Yes. Right around from where I live. Yes. And that was right. And then there was that railroad car. That uh, yeah, was, I never went in there. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. there was the the what was it? Golden Nuggets 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 Records Nuggets Store. Records yeah, right. And uh, yeah,
1: they sold some truth there.
0: Oh, they definitely did. I mm-hmm. was on uh, I was on Cottage Ave in Davis Square. Living in an attic that was yeah. painted blue, I was there when Red Bones was built, before they uh, changed the theater around. And uh, you have
1: you have mega cred with me right now.
0: I was there at the beginning of Redbones. Mega cred, and, yeah. With and me. I, I knew uh, Karen and Linda over there, and, and I think Rob was. Now the other you're getting guy. a little braggy, okay? <laughs> I was there when they first started making the well,
1: pickles. I'm glad. I'm glad we're. Able to go into this fugue state of nostalgia to rescue us from the dark, serious, personal shit we were talking about beforehand. We have to
0: take those kind of breaks.
1: No, but that's what that's what nostalgia is for. Is to is yeah. to. Oh, please get me out of now. Well, it please is, get me out of now. Yeah. I want to go back. I Prec- want to go
0: back. Precise, precisely so. But but you dodged a bullet with the booze, and you didn't have the bug, and that was good. Yeah. No. No.
1: I feel very grateful about it.
0: Now you know, it's like I I still. You do the Malort thing. We talked about that, and I, I, yeah, I, Did was we? Inter- I didn't do Malort. We talked about it. We, I think, was that outside? Or I inside? met you were, you. were you at Max FunCon when I was there? You oh yeah yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there was yeah. a big Malort thing, and then I, I didn't know what Malort was, and it's something that you're known for, and uh, I still don't know what it is.
1: <laughs> malort is, uh, mal- Malort is a, uh, it's like an aquavit. It's like a flavored vodka, basically, but flavored with. Where does it come from? With darkness and pain. Yeah it uh it is it is native to chicago and i it it's is made, made in chicago it well now it is made in florida but shipped exclusively to chicago the only place where it is sold but via i presume a secret Malort tunnel
0: <laughs> from chicago to florida from florida sure. to chicago but and it, they it, send it, the bottles it's back. not based on a ukrainian thing or or something i sort think of... it's swedish oh, okay. or
1: or a scandinavian of some kind and I and it is it is a you know it, it's like aquavit which is essentially grain neutral spirits that are flavored with different botanicals like mm-hmm. gin mm-hmm. the botanicals that it's flavored with are, are wormwood and other bitter sort of medicinal type of of botanicals mm-hmm. and thus it tastes like pencil shavings and heartbreak mm-hmm.
0: and Me I had too. and you like to drink that.
1: Well, I, you know, I, I am, I am a, f- I am a fan of of esoteric things. Yes, I'm a fan of and and always have been. It, but is it, of the know, we of the weird and the out of the way well, and me, the regional and the undiscovered and the and the and the secret history type stuff. Right. Well, you it, what I mean? but
0: like, it, what what is that? Uh, uh like that impulse or that that personality trait. I, I've often, you know, I I, I have the bit of it. Yeah. But but, uh, but isn't there something to that uh, uh, where you you become the I have the secret wisdom. I know the thing that nobody else knows. I am. Let me introduce you to something that I have discovered.
1: There is. There is. I will say. What would you call that? N- well, I mean, the, the the problem is that it that that it borders very closely on loathsome hipsterism, hmm. which is just the pursuit of esoteric knowledge. For, for F- status, basically. Right. Do you so know that, what I mean? Yeah, that's what I'm talking like, about. Like, I know I know, I know, know the band that you don't know. Right. Or I know the place to go that no one else knows. Yeah. And if anyone else ever knows about it, I'm not ever going to go there yeah, again. Yeah, it's Do you over. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that's, I, 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 I don't, I, I call it loathsome hipsterism because of the loathing that I have for it. That's how those words work. That's not how I feel about these things. I just am fascinated with weird, forgotten yeah. stuff. Yeah. And my impulse is to share it because I want everyone. Yeah to know about it. You and are, I and I want everyone in the audience to drink this malort that someone has brought to me from Chicago because I want everyone to experience that pain together. It is a it is a Is it painful? I don't mind it that much. I think it tastes okay. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I like bitter stuff. I don't have any I, do, I don't and I've never had any kind of sweet tooth. That's because you're not a bitter guy. Maybe that's well no, I can be pretty bitter. But about what? Uh Wait a All minute! All right, you're gonna have to you have to walk me there.
0: <laughs> well, what could your complaint be? All right, so you. Well, know.
1: I know I did, that's the. Well, no, see, that's the thing. What could your complaint be? I can't. There's nothing I have to complain about, and that's. Well, anyway. Yeah. Well, that's when when I walked into the first interview. I was like, "How is this going to go?" Because. You know, I. I am a. I came. I. I. I had a happy childhood. Uh, well-liked by all my friends and peers. Did very well in school. Went to a very nice school called Yale. Achieved in everything that I tried and had a sense of humor that I deployed in a certain way that suddenly and rather unexpectedly shot me into a career that I did not seek that some people call comedian. Do you know what I mean? So how am I, how is it going to be when I sit down across from a comedian? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I was I was terrified. Wrongly now I appreciate, but I was terrified. And perhaps perhaps even in a in an unconscious way, wishing to be called out, and be called the fraud that I have felt myself to be all my life because I I am all I I am all always life? well you know I'm a I'm a dude who put on a fedora hat at the age of fourteen in order to pretend to be a grown up. Yeah, you know that dude. I want to yell at that dude. Do you know what I mean? Well, what, like, you, what would you yell at him? I mean, y- y- stop
0: it, dummy! And and do what? Look good. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but no, but I think you wanted to. You knew, but some part of you, whether it was insecurity or not, said, "I'm special." Go fuck yourself.
1: Well, maybe that's so. Uh, maybe that's all. I'm saying is all. I'm saying is with all respect. Yes, I I my concern was and and you know I was self conscious about. Particularly, like I, I've done a lot of things and I've paid a lot of dues, in in different worlds, and I know what I, I know I have faith that what I do is worthwhile, but I did get into this position of being on television l- almost entirely by accident. Do you know what I mean? And I, don't, I felt, I
0: don't think anyone begrudges you your your comedic uh, place. in Well, the world. that is
1: nice. That is nice that you believe that, but uh, you know, all 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 art is is, you know, faking it to some degree. For a while. Well, anyway, the point is that I came in there terrified. You could not have been nicer. (laughs) We had a great conversation. We went deep immediately. I remember telling you stories, as I've done just now, that I've never told anyone else in public, talking about my alcoholic friends. For heaven's sakes, Mark Maron. What what weird magic you do, right? (laughs) And I walked out of there going, that was amazing. And then a week later... This email going. Yeah, I uh, I lost the hard drive. I'm
0: like, ah, he got me. That was his plan all along. I felt so fucking bad. No, you shouldn't feel bad. But I think we've done it again. We've done. We've totally done it again. But wait, what about this? uh, Okay, so what were you gonna say? Well, Yale. I mean, what was the what was your studies?
1: I studied uh, literary theory.
0: Oh, good. All right, so let's get into this then, please, Mm because this is the question I've been waiting to ask. Okay, good. I. uh, I pulled this out of my shelf. <laughs> Could you pronounce his name for me? Roland Barth? Thank you. Uh, Roland to, Barthes. I had interviewed Colt Cabana, who is a wrestler, mm-hmm. and I wanted to read his essay on wrestling again to, yeah. to somehow get a perspective on uh, professional wrestling that wasn't condescending. And it yeah. worked. Uh, I don't know that I took it in as much when, when I first read his stuff. Uh, but but to read it now was very w- was great. It yeah. gave me a, a, a beautiful perspective. Let me on see that.
1: that this is so. But what what you can't see at home is that Mark is
0: holding Roland Barthes
1: holding Roland Barthes uh, mythologies, which is something no. I have not read.
0: Nineteen fifty-seven since college, right? So I read the uh, the I think it's the Art of Wrestling, uh, maybe is the name of the essay. But could you please, as a teacher now, to me, put uh, Walter Benjamin in perspective? What what Ooh. what what? Well, I mean. I got the books up there, and I'm I'm a little obsessed with cultural theory. I'm a little I, I'm not so much obsessed with lit theory, and and I've always wanted to be able to read it with some success, but I can't penetrate him. N- no, he's he's pretty opaque. I mean,
1: Bart I think is fun to read. It's great. I can and I so can Bart. Get it. Bart was I call him Bart because he's my pal. Sure, uh, it's my little nickname for him. You know, so the takeaway from him from for me always was the author is dead. That uh, the, from the, Bart from Bart. That was his. His whole thing in terms of how you approach not just literature but all culture is that you have to – and it was very controversial at the time – you have to end the tyranny of authorial intention, which is to say that when you go and see a Woody Allen movie, let's say, yeah, you know, there, there has been – or read a book or whatever – there's a, a lot of literary criticism and cultural criticism was based around the idea of, well, what did the author mean here yeah uh what what was he trying to do did he right. succeed in what he was trying to do yeah and what bart was saying with the author is dead is stop it you will never know any narrative that you create about what the author was trying to do is is fake that is a that itself is a fiction that you are writing Around this piece of work in order to explain it and understand it yourself, even if the author comes to you, like Marshall McLuhan and Annie Hall or whatever yeah. it was, and says, "You know nothing of my work. This is what I intended." Even he is lying because yeah. he doesn't even know. And that's what it re- that's what really resonated with me, is that we don't know the effect. We 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 go into a, a piece of work w- uh, with some intention, but what it becomes is, is out of our hands. C- comes comes out of of places that we are not cognizant of and that's one of the things that I I, I understood in writing right away um, and and now and I think understand even better I mean, that's stand up comedy like is formed in, in front of an audience Yeah, you write it out but then it becomes something else the moment you're saying it you're making new connections do right. you know what I mean yeah. it's growing and changing in that atmosphere and you're like I didn't even know what I was talking about before right. do you know what I mean yeah so from a literary critic point of view, it's kind of dry in the sense of like, so what you do is you take the text and you unpack it and you try to make sense of it intrinsically rather than try to f- write some paternalistic, higher, you know, hierarchical uh, uh, story about what the author meant. This is all boring. Throw that away. The important thing is that like you, not even you
0: know what you intend. Do you know what I mean? So that's the foundations of postmodernism.
1: Yeah, I would say. Sure. Let's say that. Yeah, I would say so. So. Now, then you mean? Yeah. You don't have to read any of that stuff.
0: Oh, God, thank you. This is. The, the, I, I keep a lot I of can books only here. Give
1: you. I can only give you what I took away from that.
0: I got a lot of books here that I, I think in some day, that just by them sitting there, I'll understand them.
1: Fight your way, if you can, through the through art and the age of mechanical reproduction.
0: That's the one.
1: That's the one. And that basically is saying that... Um, uh, you know, Benjamin was talking about a time when mechanical reproduction meant, you know, printing presses. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and copies and, sure. and mass copies. Of, Nostalgic. And in particular, sculpture.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That you can mass produce a piece of sculpture with a mold.
1: Yes. Exactly. Got so. it. Yeah. And so, uh, and and what and what were the what were the problems with that? Yeah. He was talking about nostalgia to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um. And you know, what what does it mean when when art? you know, there, there used to be art that was made and you would have to go and see it. You and reckon to, with it. You would have to go and reckon with it. You would have to go... The one piece. Yeah, there yes. was the one thing. You would have to go to that one You'd store in town. you have to make that, town. Town. Right. To make the truth that pilgrimage yeah. to engage with what Benjamin called the
0: aura of the authentic. Oh, that's worth everything right yeah. there.
1: And, you know, we now, we now live um, in a time when... That is, that kind of distinction is almost meaningless because we live in a culture that is made entirely of copies. Reproduction do you know what I mean? is the way. Yeah, yeah, sure. exactly. So there is no degradation. You know, one of the things that Benjamin was writing about was the degradation of the copy. You know, a copy of a copy of a copy gets thoroughly degraded. So
0: digital killed that.
1: Digital, there is no more degradation. Right. Every copy, do you know what I mean? Is, right, is exactly is like exactly the, other the copy same as, as the, the equal. Th- and if you are creating something digitally itself. Like if you're and I don't want to besmirch any particular form of expression, but you know if you're if you're if you're building music on a computer, yeah, you know what I mean that is not designed to be performed, then even the authentic the the moment of your creation is almost identical to the copy that someone will get down the road do you know what right. i mean so that uh, compared compared to say if you're singing into a tin can and recording it right, that moment that you're singing into a tin can is. Clearly, different a different experience. Right, but than, the, actual, the, the
0: actual digital product will remain, will keep its authenticity for whatever that's worth in a digital world. Right. Uh, ad infinitum.
1: Right, exactly so.
0: But I like the whole idea that, uh, you, but you don't know, or you don't remember, I don't know that we'll tell unless you yeah, That's
1: right, and you talked about photography was a big
0: issue here. Well, the, the photography's always been a big issue, because if anyone can do it, and there's no way to tell the difference yes. between each print, right. uh, where does it stand in relation to... Uh, to that concept of art, to authenticity, Preci- precisely. so, right. because
1: it, it was a, it was mechanized art,
0: yeah, uh, that required no
1: the, none of the skills that a painter would have to go to school for years. There's, this is probably still an ongoing. It was fight a technological art within I mean, art critics' world. Oh and yeah. Then, oh, it's, a, it's a fight. It's a fight between if you're a musician or if you're a DJ.
0: Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, but also uh, photography was tricky because it was you, you know deciding the aesthetic integrity of an image. They had to break it into art photographs and documentary photographs, and then there's a whole school of photograph right. of, of historians that think like, well, once you manipulate the negative or you manipulate the print, are you d- disrupting the integrity of the medium? And then once they introduce like the Briny McGee camera to where everybody could take a picture, right? How does it hold up as as an actual art form?
1: Yeah. Do you remember the Busy Bee? Could we go back to that now?
0: Sure. <laughs> This is where I, all this deep. stuff was dumped into my head. No, I love it. Very at that much. time, yeah, yeah, when yeah. I was sitting at the Busy V, probably, you know, sort of, you know, sweating over notes from an art history class. That was the history of photography. It was a year long, a year long survey course that started in the first semester at the cave paintings and did not get to the introduction of photography until the second semester.
1: And what Benjamin is saying that is that the aura of the original.
0: Yes. This is important to me.
1: It. If anything, it's anti-nostalgic because he refers to it as the as the as the cult of the aura.
0: So it replenishes itself. Well, that and that, I mean it's not nostalgia. If every time you go there, you will be confronted with the aura of the authentic, and how you take that in at any given point in your particular experience may be different, may not be different, and
1: that, and that the art and that the aura of the authentic may not necessarily be critical or important to art. Right? Do you know what I mean? Does that did did that? I think I think I need a refresher course. Well no I, I didn't Yamin. I didn't have any real expectation but I like the aura of the, the thing, authentic. The thing that always stuck with me from Benjamin was this was the aura of the authentic. That that special that special place and I won't necessarily say better or more positive and I'm not making a value judgment it is a, a special uh, relationship between someone who takes in culture and and an engagement with the authentic thing.
0: Yeah, you I know? love it.
1: And that's and that is all all performance. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like Yeah, that's that's the the charge that you get, whether you're seeing a stand up, whether you're seeing a play, you know what I mean? That re- that realization that you have as an audience member, that what is being sculpted in front of you is being sculpted right now in a very specific context. That will not be repeated and the sculpture is smashed at the end of it.
0: Do you know what I mean? That's the best kind of performance. And there are moments when that happens where, uh, you know, either out of insecurity or laziness, uh, sometimes one feeds the other, you know, where you don't actually record or you don't have some. It, it's almost stupid in the, yeah. in the time we live in to not have something recording you at all times. We, we, we happen to be doing this on purpose. But I mean, if I'm going to go do a performance, why not throw something up there that's going to capture something? Sure. But those moments that happen on stage, that I know will never happen again because they're so specific to whatever was going on in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know like, well, that was that. And that was great. And I can appreciate it. But sometimes you're like, why didn't somebody reproduce that? Right, so I could at least have it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would feel. I feel the same way a lot of the time, um, but I know that those moments, those rare times that I do record something that I'm doing live.
0: Yeah, and it fucks you up knowing you're recording it. Well,
1: no, I'll go back. Like if if I felt well, that one really, really great, and everyone's in agreement. Yeah, and then I go back and I listen to it. And I go, well, it wasn't yeah. that
0: good. <laughs> yeah, they were deluded. It was yeah.
1: actually, you know, there, because that is what happens in a in a in a you know. I've been performing more and more this year. And I love it because that is what happens in a theater is a, is hip, is mass hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, they're, and
0: they're also excited that you're you. I mean, there's a difference between who you were, you know, like people, perha-
1: you know, whatever it is. It is what it, it, it is. what it is. And uh, and that that moment when you're in a, in a theater and you're performing. Yeah. And and
0: it is, you know, spell like. Do you read still? No. What is your performance now? How, what would you call it?
1: It's, you know, it's, it's now a, I, I, it's, it's an imitation of stand-up comedy.
0: I I don't like that you keep uh, saying that. I mean, look, you know, you're, you're you're a comedic performer. Sure. It is comedic performance. I'll say that. And, and, uh, you know, you, you have a role. There have been, there have been wits and intelligent people that, uh, that Mm -hmm. go up on stage and share their, they're are uh, funny things. Many, forever. Of,
1: many of them have mustaches. Yeah, yeah. yeah Robert sure. Benchley, sure. absolutely. Right.
0: Mark Twain, Mark Twain. Uh, but uh, you know, I've I've become a little more lenient. In uh, my uh, uh, my opinions and my approach to comedic oh, well, performers, thank you. I, I think maybe you know stand up comics are their 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 own band of rogue gypsies. That, sure, uh, that have a system by which they think yeah things I don't are done. you know
1: I, look I don't I don't say imitation stand up comedy in order to beat myself up. I say it to to say that, that stand up comedy is a craft that I respect, and and one that I appreciate. And and one that I don't take lightly by saying, yeah, I just go up and do my stand-up comedy. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. I, I do, you know, I un- until about a year ago, I was presenting material, you know, from my books, which is the comedy that I write. And I was I started out my tour reading, but then becoming more and more familiar. And by the end of the promotional tour for that book, I wasn't touching the book anymore. And I was enjoying being in the moment more. Yeah. So then I decided to go out and tour last the spring, the spring of this year, which is 2012, um, because I wanted to try that out more. And so uh, I basically, you know, I no longer it was the case that I had memorized the material that I wanted to present. I just knew it. And I went out there and took the feeling of the room, started talking presented the material more or less in the order that I wanted it to but made adjustments and would go on on digressions and interacted with people and it was you know it's it, it, it is that moment of the aura of the authentic do you Jeez. know what i mean it is congratulations it is, you've become a stand up oh. <laughs> well <laughs> it's, a, it's about time uh, <laughs> uh you know i i think that i think there's something i'm getting better at and you know a lot of it is i think much more in common with uh, Spalding Gray at the at the Brattle Theater. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Than the great stand-ups of our time, but it is authentic to me. It is my it is my own weird, you know. It is my comedy. It is, it is my comedy of pre- of preoccupation with esoteric fake facts. And, and but I
0: think Spalding also. But I, in my recollection, he always had a text in front of him. That oh, he, did he? I, I think so. It may be. Uh, like I, 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 maybe I only saw him workshopping, but I mean, I uh, he never looked at it much.
1: And it was hard to tell how much of that was oh, yeah, right. needed or or, a, or well, yeah, a theatrical problem or, or maybe, I mean, maybe
0: just a teddy bear. You know? Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and you know he sat down.
1: Yeah, like he It, did. it, it was it was sit down comedy sure
0: um, which i think
1: is i think that's what i would say that i do even though i'm standing up it's sit down it's sit down oh, comedy
0: oh yeah i mean whatever it, is, I'm, I, it's,
1: it whatever it is it's whatever it is saying. i don't apologize for what it is no, let me, no, put, it it that, sounds let me great. put it that way. are you
0: performing can i come see it
1: uh, yeah i am going to do so you know the, the show that i effectively put together the one man show that i realized had a beginning middle and end is a you know was derives from my book which is called that is all which is my last book of fake facts, and it deals with all the, all of the facts that I was too, too scared to deal with in the first two books. So that's um, uh, money, wine, sports, and the end of the world. So mm-hmm. those are the four topics, more or less.
0: Well, that well, that sounds great. I mean, and uh, it, w- before before we finish our time together, I, I there's a chunk of, uh, of of personal history that we didn't hit was oh, that yeah that's was that um you did not start as a comedic writer right you entered after college you entered the world of uh of literary of uh, publishing
1: yeah because i was you know i was i was super serious i was a pre- i was pretentious you were an editor i was a literary agent
0: oh that's worse
1: um and but i'll tell you that i i came out i and so in college i read all this walter benjamin yeah and the Roland Barthes. I didn't read Northrop Fry.
0: I, it's impossible. I'll, I'll look into no, it. No, don't. It's no reason now. I came out you with a lot of ideas. To, you seem to be fine.
1: I also had merged um, with alcohol and the literature of alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I was very into Raymond Carver and uh, and Charles Bukowski, like all sure right thinking sure white twenty somethings yeah in that in in the in who, the who had not late lived 80s, early 90s, who had not lived right yeah, yeah. who had romantic ideals uh, yeah and i had read Borges, um who is the an argentine short story writer uh who is still my utter favorite have you ever read Not Borges? no at- i will send you a copy of his book ficciones guess what that means in spanish
0: uh f- Fictions. Fictions. yeah okay.
1: it's uh that was my my book okay because he would write these weird short stories that were um that often masqueraded as other things so he would write a a story about a about an author, um, a short story about an author that masqueraded as a literary essay, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I love that kind of playfulness. Yeah, right. And I and I came to New York after that, wanting to be a writer of short fictions that had Raymond Carverian boozy epiphanies and also Borasian um, sort of wordplay and yeah. uh, and mind games. Yeah. And I knew that there was probably not a huge market for these things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I sought a job in in publishing, and much like the 40-year-old uh, that I always was, uh, the, the 40-year-old nostalgic that I always was, I looked expressly for the most old-timey publishing concern that I could find. Uh-huh. And I interviewed at a place called Writer's House, which still exists in the former brownstone that had belonged to the Astor family with beautiful leather sofas and dark corners where I could take— Publishing industry naps, yeah, and books lining the walls, and ferns, and le- wood paneling, and I'm like, you would arrived. This is yeah. it for me." Yeah, and uh, and I and I worked there for seven years as the as the receptionist, and then as an assistant, and then I started helping other writers get get rather mediocre book deals because I was not a terrifically good agent because my 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 goals were elsewhere. I really wanted to write, and was and was uh, uh, embarrassed by that. Desire and and was trying to avoid it for a while, but then I couldn't avoid it anymore.
0: And and the Deli Show came about from an essay you wrote, uh, from my first book. Yeah.
1: Um, so I, after I quit the agency, I then w- worked. I, I got it. I was. I had been freelance writing for magazines already. Made that my profession for about four or five years, um, and through various circumstances, decided to write this book of trivia in which all the trivia was made up by me. So it was a standard book of book of list style trivia. But instead of the nine U.S. presidents who were insomniacs, it would be the nine U.S. presidents who secretly had hooks for hands. And the stories of how no one ever noticed their hooks. Right. You know, no, no, one ever, no one ever noticed that FDR had a hook for a hand. And polio, yeah. He, he, well, no, this, his hook was shaped like a wheelchair. That's why they never, it was never discussed. So jokes, right? There's yeah. a joke? Sure. And so I went on The Daily Show uh, to promote that book yeah and uh, we had a good time talking about hooks for hands and and polio jokes and um, I was asked to come back and do comedy on the show
0: and the rest is history
1: the rest is ancient ancient history nostalgia nostalgia
0: thanks man thank you that's our show I hope you enjoyed that John Hodgman and me trying to fill some gaps in my intellectual sphere with a guy who knows great talking to him great guy always fun to talk to John look people you know the score go to WTFpod.com for all your WTFpod needs get some merch get on the mailing list leave a comment get the app free upgrade to premium get all 300 and whatever episodes got a new poster there check look around you know oh go check out the dates for my tour okay all right Yeah. Oh, I feel, I still feel fat from North Carolina. Seriously. Boomy lives!